Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. We are in Psalm 15 this week as we continue our study in the book of Psalms, as Pastor Joel brings his message, The Song of the Heart. I just want to set the stage for all of us who come here this morning. You probably came here this morning going, okay, I'm going to do some singing. I'm going to meet some people, say hi to people if I know them, a little awkward. Then I'm going to hear something uh, that's going to make me better. What do I need to do to be better? You might even come here going, boy, I know I really need to do better. Maybe I'll get some like, like uh, f- you know, fortune or something that I can make me better this week and go out of here. But what I want to tell you this morning is uh, you can just relax on that. I'm not going to try to make you better this morning. All I'm going to do is I want to point to one person. I'm just going to point to one person. And, and if you see uh, this one person by the end of the message, I, I think it's going to uh, just draw us all in together. We've been doing a series in the book of Psalms uh, for the last couple months. We have one more month uh, to go. Uh, Bruce Waltke is an Old Testament professor. He says this of the Psalms. He says that to find yourself in the Psalms is to find yourself in Christ. Can everyone say that? In Christ. Christ. In Christ. Not as man going to the divine, but as the divine coming down in man. And Psalms is his story. It's Jesus' story and the story of the gospel. And over the past few weeks, we have been meditating. We've been haggaiing, if you hear a couple weeks ago, this Hebrew word of of meditating or chewing on the Psalms so that we can see Christ in them. Uh, And it's not some sleight of hand that all of a sudden, poof, here's Jesus. Actually, the Psalms themselves point us to this Messiah that's going to come. They point us to Jesus. Uh, Martin Luther So over 500 years ago, the reformer says this of the the Psalms. The Old Testament Psalms not only, oh, you can imagine in a German accent this. I can't do German accent, but just picture it because it makes it so much more powerful. Old Testament uh, Psalms not only permit us to see Christ in them, they require it. Resurrection, eternity, a universal kingdom, forgiveness, even grace and blessing, each ultimately has its home and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. To be faithful to the witness of the New Testament and to the witness of the Psalms themselves is to find Christ throughout the Psalter. That when we come to Psalms, we're not looking at how can I be a little bit better, though it does help us with that. When we come to the Psalms, we're looking for Jesus. I'd like to begin doing that today out of the 15th Psalm, Psalm 15. Uh, And if you wouldn't mind, if you would stand as I read Psalm 15. It's only five verses long. Psalm 15. A Psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those 
who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, come as people longing to see you this morning, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see you, that you would open our, our ears this morning, that the voices that we hear and the baggage that we bring and the lists that are in our head, that you would quiet those, that we could hear from your word this morning. And Lord, would you soften our hearts so that we would love you more, our affections would be drawn to you more, and that we would leave here uh, changed because we have seen you and know you a little better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Actually, before we get to our text today, I want to set uh, this message up with an illustration uh, of a, a time when our family learned to look for one man, like a specific man. It actually happened. Um, <laughs> it actually happened uh, in these seasons or years that we spent at the doctor's office. When our kids were small, it feels like sicknesses and checkups and everything just kept coming and coming. So they actually knew us by name at the doctor's office. And in that doctor's office, we would open these books to look, to search intently for that one man, Waldo. Have you guys looked for, have you looked for Waldo before? This actually got us through many a doctor uh, appointment waiting for the doctor to do that. Because we would sit there with the child in our lap and we would look intently on those pages for this guy with glasses and this funny hat and red and white shirt. We would look for him. And he'd be uh, hiding somewhere, and we'd, just, we'd stare at him and just, where is he at? And then we'd see somebody, oh, there's a red and white shirt, but it happened to be on an old man who's walking a dog. Oh, that's not him. We'd see him, like the glasses and the hat and the, a striped shirt, but it would be black and white. You remember that guy? It was like the opposite of him. Ah, oh, that's not him. And then you would see him, and as soon as you see him, usually let the child, hopefully you let the child do it. <laughs> I think I did. <laughs> they would go, I found him. I found him. There was this like sense of delight. I had been searching for him, and I finally found him. Now, in the same way that the Where's Waldo books are all about the search to find one man, today we're going to look intently in the pages of the Psalms where we, too, will be searching for one person, uh, this, this one person, the, the king that is set up on this holy hill, this holy mountain. Now, some of you, as we come to Psalm 15, some of you will see it right away. Oh, there he is. I, I found him. And other you, others of you, it's going to be a longer uh, journey to get there. But unlike the words Waldo books, the Bible isn't like hiding him or, or trying to be deceptive or putting him in things. In fact, the Psalms is actually pointing to him everywhere, over and over He's here. Open your eyes. The, the intention is that as we come to the Psalms, our eyes would be open and that we would behold the Messiah that's going to come and rescue humanity. That's the intention. That's where our eyes should be seeing. It, uh, Psalms is really getting our eyes up to look up to the mountain to see the king that's installed on God's holy hill. Now, if you're like me, Psalm 15, you look down and you see how short it is. It's only five verses. And you're thinking, how is Joel going to get 30 minutes out of five verses? 
And that's what I thought earlier this week, too. No. Uh, Every minute we spend in this beautifully constructed psalm, inspired by the Spirit, it's going to be worth every minute. It's actually just beautiful. The the structure, the placement, everything is just absolutely beautiful. Uh, So it's going to be worth every moment we we spend there. It's going to be a little bit more teaching this morning than preaching because I want to show you some technical things that that come next week and it'll be a little bit different. Uh, But this week, so you're going to have to put your thinking hats on a, a little bit. Uh, this week. Uh, Psalm 15. Uh, This psalm actually continues an idea or a theme that we saw introduced in the great gates of the psalm, Psalms 1 and 2. Uh, In Psalm 2, it starts off, uh, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds from us, let's cast them off from us. You see on the earth is all these people in rebellion against the Lord and his Messiah, this anointed one. And so God, he's in heaven, and he laughs. He's like, I got this. Uh, and he's going to speak to them in his fury and his anger. And when he responds back, he, he gives us this statement. He says, I will set my king on my holy hill. Now, that word hill actually could be mountain as well. Uh, in response to the rebellion and the sinfulness and the brokenness of humanity, God in heaven is going to set up his king on the holy mountain. So as we are in really the valley below, in the brokenness of uh, humanity, where do we look for for hope? Who's going to rescue and redeem this world? And the Psalms wants us to get our eyes up to look up to the mountain where our help and our hope comes from. Psalms 15 then begins and opens with this uh, couple questions that are raised. Uh, Who shall dwell on your holy hill or holy mountain? And who shall sojourn in your tent? Uh, This idea of sojourning in a tent, uh, that word tent is used everywhere else as for like the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. It's the place where God dwells. Who is able to come into that space where God dwells? And not only who is able to come there, who is able to dwell there? Who is able to like take up residency where God is? And this idea coming back to Psalm 2, what king is able to do this? What king is actually able to dwell with the Lord? Well, Psalm 15 is going to give us this description. Uh, So like in the Where's Waldo thing, you know, he has the glasses and the hat and the striped shirt. You look for Waldo because you're looking for the characteristics of Waldo. In Psalm 15, this is going to describe the king that God is going to set up on his holy mountain. So the shape of the psalm is is amazing. Uh, It's referred to by scholars and commentators as David's Decalogue. David's Decalogue. So Deca, you probably know what that means. And you think of offhand, Deca means 10. And log comes from the, the Greek word logos, which means word. So it's the 10 words. Uh, or it could be the, the 10 commandments. Uh, the 10 commandments given to Moses up on Mount Sinai was actually referred to as the Decalogue. So this is David giving like this new Torah, this new uh, law, uh, just like Moses did up on a mountain, David is going to give 10 uh, words that invite us up to uh, a mountain. Just like Moses uh, invited the people to come to the mountain, David is going to invite us to come to a mountain as we look for the king that's going to be set up on God's holy mountain. So, so here's the structure of today, uh, just to kind of work us through uh, this. We're going to climb three mountains And if you've ever climbed one mountain, that's a lot. We're going to climb three mountains 
today. Uh, and they're all going to be literary mountains uh, that we're going to see. Uh, three, three mountains, that's our, that's our quest. So uh, let's, let's begin, and we'll, I'll show you how we're going to walk through these uh, three mountains. Here, here's the first one, the first mountain. Uh, it's given in these literary structures in verses 2 and 3. If you have a Bible, you can look down there. Verses 2 and 3, we come to our first mountain. It says this, He who walks blamelessly, the person who's set on God's holy mountain, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth, in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. And we look at that and you're thinking, how is he getting a mountain uh, out of that? So we have to, we have to look a little more, uh, look intently at the pages of scripture. And what you'll see is something called a chiasm. Uh, now, if you've been in church for a while or you're a literary person, you know what a chiasm is. It's really where it's like A, B, C, uh, C, B, A. Uh, they reflect each other, and there's a point in the middle. So it looks like a mountain. That's, that's why I say mountain. So uh, there's a chiasm here. There's a, there's a one side up and another side down that points to something right in the middle, our first mountain. And, he, and here's what you see um, when you slow down and look at this. Uh, the first thing we'll see, we'll see three positive statements going up, reflected by three negative statements going down that, that pair with each other. Look, look at the first one. He walks blamelessly. This person walks blamelessly. There is no guilt or accusation. Uh, there's nothing that you could say about this man set on this holy mountain that you could go, ah, that's wrong, or that's, you did that right. You're deceiving people with this. This man, there's nothing you can say against him. He, everything is, is right. He's made uh, righteous. Here's the next one, B. He does right. Uh, what he puts his hand to, what, what, he, what he builds in, in, and his actions and his motions, all that stuff is right. It's true. It's just. Everything he does is right. And then the, the last one we see is he speaks truth. He's honest, there's no deception, deception, there's no manipulation in his mouth. Everything that, he, uh, everything that he does, where he goes, what he says, it's all right. It's perfect. This man walks blamelessly, does right, and speaks truth. But not only that, we're going to emphasize that on the, on the downside of the mountain. Look at C, or this is what I'm, C1 is what I'm saying. Uh, he does not slander. So he's, not only does he speak the truth, he doesn't use his words or his mouth to falsely damage another person, to bring someone down. He does not slander or put people down for his own benefit. Be one going down. He does no evil. Whereas he does right, he doesn't do anything wrong. It's just emphasizing this point. Everything he does is right. He doesn't do anything evil. He doesn't act in rebellion to God. He doesn't destroy or steal and then the last one we see, nor take up a reproach. Now, this is a little tricky, but if you think of what's the, uh, the definition of blameless, you could also say above reproach. So if, if someone walks blamelessly, it's not only that you can't even have an accusation against him. This man doesn't even like slander and put down other people. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't shame them. He doesn't judge them wrongly. 
This man walks blamelessly, does right, speaks truth, doesn't slander, does no evil, nor takes up reproof. And the last three, you see a not, no, and nor. So do you see the chiasm that's there now that we're seeing it a little bit more? Uh, there's a chiasm that draws our, our eyes to the peak of that mountain. And, and if you look intently at that place, you'll see at the end of verse 2, on the top of the mountain is this little phrase, in his heart, in his heart. If you have NIV, you can look down, and it's actually a little different than that. It says, from his heart. Uh, and so, so how you translate this is a little interesting, because it could be uh, what he says to his heart, like that self-talk, you know? Uh, he always speaks truth to his heart, but also NIV has this idea, it's from his heart. Like what he says that comes out of his mouth is from his heart. Uh, it could be in his heart or from his heart, and I think both of them are true, Right? Because when you, when you think about it, the things that you dwell on and meditate on, the things that you speak out are, really come from your heart. So, so what you put in your heart is what's coming out of your heart. Um, out of the overflow of this man's heart, he speaks truth. And central to this first mountain, uh, these first like six commands, it focuses us on the, the heart. What's going on in this guy's heart, not just his actions, not just the exterior, not just what he says, but there's something like, there's something pure and holy in his heart, which makes us reflect a little bit. I read this in one of the commentators. It says, we don't speak with our mouths. We speak through our mouths that reveal the condition of our heart. We don't do with our hands. We do through our hands the desires of our heart. We don't walk with our feet. We walk through our feet that reveal the direction of our, our heart. And so, so, so it makes you want to reflect and just stop a little bit. What are, what are my actions, my words, my desires? What do they reveal about my heart? And, and this person that's set up on God's holy mountain, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't do anything from an impure heart. He doesn't say anything wrong, do anything wrong, go anywhere wrong, have wrong desires. How are you guys doing with that? The king on this holy hill is, is perfect. These commands that come out are actually concerned with the condition of his, his heart. And when we reflect on it and go, what do I need to do, Lord? We all come out and go, boy, I need a heart change. I've said things this week I shouldn't have said. I've done things this week I shouldn't have done. I've looked at things I shouldn't have looked at. Uh, I've said things so meanly to these people. And really, this, it's revealing the condition of our, our heart, and we need someone to rescue and redeem us. Who can sojourn in your tent, Lord? Who, who, who is perfect? Who is holy enough to live with the Lord? We all need a, a heart change. And I can't be the one who gets there on my own. This is not me. And so hopefully you're beginning to see this man. Well, let's leave that first mountain. We're going we're to go on to the second mountain. This is the second chiasm within uh, Psalm 15. Now, in this chiasm, the first six statements now form the first half of the, the mountain or the chiasm of the second side of the, the mountain. So we get uh, three positives, then three negatives, then we get to the top of the mountain, then we go down the other side and we see, uh, just like in reflection of those three negatives, we'll see three negatives on the other side. Look in verse 4, uh, the second part of verse 4. 
says, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, and he does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. That king set up on the holy mountain, he does nothing wrong, and he's never moved. He's eternal. He's he's solid. He is not changing uh, from day to day. He he is the one that we have that's firm and secure. We see these three negative statements on the way back down the mountain. He does not change. Even when the circumstances get really rough, uh, even when mouse are like crawling across your face in the train in India, Vietnam, The circumstances don't change who he is. When pain comes, he's sticking straight on. He's faithful and true. The second thing, he does not put out money or he doesn't lend money at interest. And really this this idea is um, the idea that somebody is down on their luck and they need some help and this guy's going, yeah, I'll lend you a little bit of money, but I'm actually in it for myself, so you're going to give me back even more. So it's taking the vulnerable, the weak people in a very tough uh, situation and going, uh, I, I'm selfish and I want to get what I want out of this, so I'll give you this, but it's only like the appearance of I'm helping because it's really about me. Uh, this, this man does nothing selfishly. He, he's generous and kind. He's caring and compassionate. And then the last one, he does not take a bribe. He does not take a bribe. A couple weeks ago with Ethan spoke, we, we saw the foundation of his throne is that of justice and righteousness. He does not take a bribe. He, he won't look the other way when something is not right. He doesn't look past sin and go, oh, that's just okay. I'll let this one slide. He, he is just and righteous. He does not take a bribe. And then as you're going down the mountain, you're expecting to see these three positives, but instead you get this like statement. He, he who does these, these things, all these things will never be uh, moved. That leaves us, if you count those, that leaves us with actually uh, nine and then the summary statement. And so the seventh statement, the seventh word, is actually at the top of the chiasm, number seven, the seventh command in this Decalogue, this, uh, these ten commandments of David, number seven. Number seven is an interesting number uh, because number seven means complete or whole or perfect. And, and there's something very interesting about uh, this seventh word. Uh, it's not actually about the king. It's about uh, people, these two groups of people in relationship to the king and then how the king responds to these people. You see it in 4a. That's, that's where it draws our, our, our eyes to, 4a. It says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Uh, this is not about the characteristics of this person as much as it is of how he responds to two different type of people. A a vile person, a wicked person, a selfish person, unjust, unkind. Uh, It says he despises them, he rejects them. But those who fear the Lord, who turn from their sins and find refuge in the king, he's going to lift up, he honors. So all all of these uh, ten commands, that the heart of these Commands. It's actually pointing to the relationship with the one that God is going to install or put on his throne on his holy mountain. The relationship with this king. Which in Psalm 2, when we saw that, it gave this command, kiss the king. 
Be in relationship with the king. Honor the king. To repent and find refuge in the king that God has set up on his holy mountain. And so we go back to the beginning of Psalm 15 and this question, who shall sojourn in the tent of the Lord? Who can can do that? And if we walk through them all, the person who's blameless and does what is right, doesn't do anything wrong, is fair and just and righteous, I can't. Who, Who shall dwell on the mountain of the Lord? Well, after reading this, no one with sin in their, in their heart even. It reminds me of back to even Exodus 19 and 20 when they come to the mountain and, and they say, uh, don't take even one step on this mountain or you will die. Who, who can ascend the hill? Who, who can dwell in that hill of the Lord? Well, this brings us to our last uh, Our last mountain, it's a larger chiasm, which actually begins with Psalm 15 and has a broader structure of all the Psalms. So I want to show you this last mountain, and we're going to stop in two places on this mountain to show you the view. We start with Psalm 15, and the question it starts off with, if you have a Bible, you might want to flip through these. Psalm 15, it begins with, who shall dwell, or whoso shall journey in your tent, dwell on your holy mountain. That's the, the question. If you flip to, to chapter 24, uh, there's also two questions at the beginning of, of that Psalm 24. And it says, who shall ascend your holy hill? And who shall stand in the holy place? Uh, this question of, uh, we're looking to this mountain, who can do it? Who can go up there? Well, then if you go to Psalm 16, this psalm is really, we saw this uh, several weeks ago, introduced our psalm series, and, and it's really summarized by a confession of trust in Yahweh. I trust him. No matter what happens, I'm going to, I'm going to trust him. And, and if you go over to Psalm 23, the very famous psalm, and we'll look at that next week, that's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It, it's really a confession of trust in Yahweh. And then you get to Psalm 17, back on the other side of the mountain, and that's really a plea for deliverance from foes. A plea for deliverance from foes. Lord, I'm in a horrible spot. Please answer me. Be near me. Lord, where are you at? All my foes and enemies are here. Lord, help. And if you look across on Psalm 22, we looked at that on Easter, actually, and it begins, oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Answer me when I call, Lord. It's a, it's a plea for deliverance. Well, Psalm 18 then, going back, we see this royal psalm of a praise for a king. At the center of it is this king who is good and right and just. And if you look at Psalm 20 through 21, you'll see at the center of those psalms is the praise for a king's victory as well. Which then leads us to Psalm 19. Do you see the mountain again? It's raising our eyes up to see Psalm 19 is really the central point of this collection of psalms within the the Psalter. And the central point of Psalm 19, beautiful psalm that says God's glory is revealed in two ways, through creation and through the Torah, through his law. Through creation and through the Torah. So as we look up to try and find out who is this king that's going to dwell on the hill, God says, I've given you two things to show you, creation and the law. And if you're like, well, how does the law show us who this king is? And then we go, well, let's go back to Psalm 15 and see how the Decalogue of David really points us uh, to this one who is 
right and just and fair and honest and loyal and steadfast and kind and gracious and compassionate. And then the end of the chasm, the chiasm. We get to the other side. If you want to flip there, Psalm 24 and verse 10. So we've crested the mountain. If you read these psalms all together, it's a beautiful exercise, Psalm 15 through 24. We get to the end of the chiasm, the, the coming off the mountain, and, and the writer reflects back, Psalm 24 and verse 10. He says, who, who is this king of glory? And then he answers it. It's Yahweh. It's the Lord, the Lord of hosts. He's the king of glory, not me. David says, I'm not the king of glory. Yahweh is. God is. God himself will be the king through which he reconciles and redeems all mankind. The one who can ascend the holy hill and sit at the right hand of God. Everyone else then is given this invitation to find your refuge in the one who who dwells in the holy hill. As Jesus, the great king, comes and invites people to come to him, find refuge in him, it's not about how good you are or, or, or even that you have it all right. It's about who you turn to. The, the great news about Psalm 15 is that the highest mountain in all the world, the Bible says, is, is Mount Zion, is Jerusalem. That's the highest mountain that draws our eyes to the king. The king that is then on that mountain high and lifted up. Does that sound like he's, he's even higher than that mountain as he is lifted up? But what we would think of lifted up like, wow, isn't he amazing? It's really on a cross to deal with the sin and rebellion of humanity. So it brings us to this question. Have you found him this morning? Can you go, yeah, I, I, see, I know him. I see him. He's right here, and he's right here. Uh, Jesus being revealed to us through his word, through creation, through his community that gathers together. Well, if you, if you haven't, found, haven't found him, then the question really is, or even those of you who have, and you think, oh, I've kind of got it all together, are you looking for him? Are you searching for him? Are you open up the pages and look intently to stare at the one who Jesus uh, came to fully embody, the glory of God in flesh? Do you look intently with, the, uh, with your eyes to the pages of Scripture? Would, would you pray and begin that journey even today? Um, we lived in Slovenia, and right behind, that is beautiful, uh, we lived there as missionaries uh, for seven years, and this is Kran, the place where we were, and we're right beside the Alps, and the Alps were all in our backyard, just beautiful. Um, that pointy, that pointy um, mountain in the middle is called Storžić. They all had names, and I wanted to hike every one of them, so I could say I did. Uh, so now here I am. It's really not as fulfilling as you would think, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I have hiked that middle mountain, Storžić. It was a Saturday afternoon, and you could actually drive up pretty good ways up there. It took about seven hours to, to hike to the top. Uh, and as I got to the top, at the very top of the top of that mountain was a huge cross. It didn't, it didn't matter which direction you, you came from. At the top of the top of the mountain is a cross. Uh, and I can tell you there's a cross on that top of that mountain. But as you look at that picture, you're like, I don't see it. But if I invited you to come journey with me, 
Let's start climbing this mountain. And as we got closer, you would look up and like, I see it. I see it. You know, we're all searching for something. We're all on a journey in life. And that journey is taking you one way or another. And it's all dependent on what you're searching for. So some of us are searching for, for wealth or esteem or money or meaning or fame, security, health, whatever it is. And I just want to encourage all of us this morning, why not spend your time looking intently for this king that God has set up on his holy hill to bring about this new, new kingdom, to bring about forgiveness of our sins, to take away the shame, to, to lead us to come into community together so that we can be people of all ages and colors and ethnicities and backgrounds and we can be one together because we've all found our refuge in the one king. So it doesn't matter if some people know a little bit more than other people. It like, doesn't matter if you grew up in church or you've just been to church, this is like your third time. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you find your refuge in the king. He is the one that is worthy to be praised and to be sought after. So would we as a church look intently for our king who's set up on God's holy mountain? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the riches that we find there. Lord, as we meditate and uh, spend time pouring over the words that you have revealed through the Holy Spirit by men of old, Lord, these, these, are, not, uh, these are not words like Aesop's fables or uh, some histor historical magazine that we can just learn some good things. These are words that give life and give meaning because they point to the one who came down, lived a perfectly righteous life, doing nothing wrong. And in that righteousness and perfection, um, didn't use it to beat us all up, but actually to invite us into relationship with him. And Lord, I pray if somebody hasn't done that this morning, that that this morning would be their first step onto the mountain, the first step to find a refuge in you, their great king, and that they would begin to see the kingdom of God before them that they were invited into, that they would talk to somebody um, this morning, that they would get to know um, the citizens of this kingdom, you know, the people that proclaim you to be the king, and that you would uh, remove, remove sins and shame, though that your forgiveness through your death and resurrection uh, would cover over, um, would atone for uh, all of that. Lord, that we could live and worship and glory and joy to you, our great King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212, between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.